Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Um, as you can tell, I'm a little bassy today. I've been, like a lot of you, I've been fighting off a cold for the last two weeks or so, and finally catching up to me. And it's, I got to sing in the shower for 15, 20 minutes just to get where I can talk in the morning. So I'm uh, so. But then again, when your voice gets like this, it's kind of fun because you can do, uh, you can sing and sing bass and stuff. Usually, I think I'm a tenor, but so I'm in the shower, swing low, sweet chair ball, you know, getting way down there. So, <laughs> well, we're entering into one of the, my favorite times of the year, Christmas. As a kid, I was always so excited about Christmas. And uh, some of my fondest, earliest memories, really, are of, you know, events that surrounded that time, whether it be uh, Christmas morning, running around, and, you know, just the excitement of it. My parents would always try to sleep in, and, you know, I'd, I'd wake up in the night and ran out to the clock and looked at the clock, and I was, one time I swore it was 7 o'clock in the morning. So I run in there, it's 7 o'clock, it's time to give presents. And they, my dad's like, it's like 1.30 in the morning. And I'm like, what? And I looked, and sure enough, it was 1.30 in the morning. And I was so disappointed. I remember I fell asleep on the floor right by the presents there. And, uh, but I still vividly remember that. And, and every year since then, I mean, it's just been in the last few years that I've allowed myself to sleep in a little bit on Christmas morning. Now, that, you know, Kayla's the one that runs around waking everybody up now, but... Uh, so, but it's a great time of the year, and and I, I really like the uh, <coughs> excuse me the Christmas story. Uh, there's so much in there that that we could talk about and look at, and and uh, so if you have your Bibles, we'll be looking in the Book of Luke today. Um, over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about the Christmas story and you know, what it's all about, and and as Many of you have, you know, gone, you know, in church throughout your life. You've you've heard the Christmas story, and and, and uh, I'm always impressed that one of the at the beginning of of Luke's gospel. Remember, he wrote the Luke was a doctor, he was a physician, and he was uh, he wanted to write sort of a a complete account of what had happened. You know, the, Jesus had lived and he died, and, and the whole story. And 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 Luke's probably had uh, he says he had drawn materials from other people. He talked to eyewitnesses, people who were there. Um, I'm assuming he probably talked to the some of the uh, the apostles. So he's got a lot of history, what we call primary sources to work with, which is really good stuff as you you start to look at it. And I love how. The, uh, the Christmas story begins, and Jen kind of alluded to it with our, our Advent candle. I was talking about Zechariah and, and his wife, uh, Elizabeth. And it was a time of, of great excitement for them, and there's going to be some exciting moments throughout this Christmas story. In 2001, not too long after 9-11, I just started teaching at the high school, and uh, friend of mine, we went to Washington, D.C. For a, for a conference on education. 
and this was, was a national uh, event, and they had the uh, representative to the United Nations on refugees, somebody who was, you know, would, would go to the United Nations, <coughs> sort of lobby on the behalf of refugees, spend a lot of time traveling and working with refugees. <clears throat> anybody know who that would have been at that time? I wouldn't expect anybody to know who that was. What about if I said uh, she was the actress in Tomb Raider, in uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith? Uh, some of you are like, oh, yeah, Angelina Jolie was there. So, so we're here eating dinner, and here's Angelina Jolie, the famous movie star, the first time I'd ever seen a movie star. You know, she's up here, she gave a little speech, and sat down, and, and people were like, oh my gosh, look at that. It, 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 yeah, it's her, it's really, it's really a movie star, you know, and people were just flabbergasted by that. And my friend was a total geek, he, he still is. He, he was just like, you know, and I'm like, I'm going to go down there and talk to her, I'm going to go introduce myself. And he's like, no. I said, well, come on with me, we're going down there and we're going we're gonna to say hi. He's like, I, I got no way, I can't do that. So I got up and walked walked down to her table and sat down. I said, well, "Hi, I'm I'm John. I'm from Ohio, and you know, like your movies and stuff. And I think it's great you're doing this." And so she starts to talk to me, and we have a nice little conversation. And I go back to my table, and later on, uh, throughout the the weekend, she appeared again at a couple of booths and panels. I ran into her a couple of more times. By the end, she kind of recognized me. Hey, John, you know. And uh, my friend was like, I, 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 cannot, I cannot believe you. I cannot believe you actually went and talked to her, let alone, you know. And uh, just the excitement of that. And I can remember after I, the first time I talked to her, I went back to the table and I was like, oh, man. <laughs> I sat down. It was just like, ah, this is awesome. It was just thrilled. Well, something similar is going to happen here a couple of different times in the Christmas story, some miraculous events are going to happen where some everyday normal people are going to have some run-ins, some, uh, uh, some encounters with, uh, with an angel, with others that uh, are going to really wake them up a little bit, going to get them, uh, you know, I just, just can't believe it. And one of those moments is, I just can't believe I just did that. And one of those moments... In Luke chapter 1, verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. These are important people. Uh, Zacharias is a priest. In order to be a priest, you had to be of the line of, I think, Aaron. Uh, so not everybody could be a priest, an official priest. And they were both righteous, verse 6, both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. We've heard this story before in the Bible. You go back to Abraham and, and, and Sarah and some of the things with them. Here we've got an older couple, well past childbearing years, and now they're going to they're told, you know, something's going to happen here. 
you might have a baby. What? I can't believe that. Now, it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. This is his job. Now, at that time, there were probably around 20,000 priests. That's just an estimate. And many of the priests of that time, the religious leaders, were very proud, very self-seeking, self-righteous people. Jesus constantly is going to have run-ins with them throughout his ministry in the years to come. Um, but uh, Jesus even mentioned uh, in the story of the Good Samaritan, one of the you know, the, they found the man who had been beaten up, had been mugged and robbed, lying by the road. And Jesus said different people came, passed by. One of them was a priest. Thought he was too important to help a victim of a mugging. He just, just walked on. Well, Zechariah and Elizabeth are not, they're not like that. They are devout. They are people of God. They're righteous in the sight of God. They walk blamelessly in his commandments, and in the requirements of the Lord. What's interesting for uh, you know, Zacharias, this is probably his, his going into the, the temple here, or not, well, yeah, to go and uh, burn incense. This was probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him. Every other time I've read this, eh, he went in and he burned incense. Oh, that's, what it, that's what priests do, you know. He got up and spoke in front of church. That's what preachers do. They played music. Now, this was probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him. He had probably looked forward to this, had prayed about it, was excited about it, something he really was, was looking forward to. And, uh, you know, going in before the presence of the Lord in the temple, I mean, that was no small thing. <coughs> Excuse me. So while he was performing this priestly service before God. You have a devout, righteous man going before the Lord. He's going to perform his service. Now, they would burn incense, uh, and uh, they'd have the coals going. They'd throw the stuff on it and make the smoke. Okay, And people outside would be praying and probably praying for him. I mean, there I've read accounts of you know, they would actually tie a rope to their feet because if they screwed up in there, God might zap them or they might die. Then they have to haul them out with a rope because you can't just walk in there and pull him out of there. Anyways, uh, verse 9, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. He's probably really excited. That's finally my chance. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. Now here enters God, one of his moments here. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. I would be afraid too. Um, I've talked about angels before. I believe in angels um, I had, uh, of course, I've mentioned my family many times, my grandmother, uh, poorest woman I ever knew in my life, probably the richest woman in terms of, you know, things of God that I've ever known, and 
She told me a couple uh, stories where she felt she had an encounter with an angel. And I'm like, oh, Grandma, this is ridiculous. You know, you just want it to be. Well, no, 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 hear me out. And this one time she was uh, going up a ladder, climbing up the side of the house, going up there to get something. And she slipped and fell. And somebody grabbed her and pushed her back onto the thing. And she goes, oh, thank you, thank you, whoever that was. I sure appreciate that. Oh, I'm so clumsy. Got nobody there. My grandma's not a liar. I don't know. Maybe she grabbed it by herself. I don't know. Point is, she believed it. And it was a, uh, an interesting thing. It wasn't just a, a normal event. This angel appears to Zacharias. He's thinking, it's finally my chance to go before the Lord to, to do my service. And sure enough, he gets in there and he starts to present the, the incense and starts to burn and an angel appears and he's shocked, terrified. Fear gripped him. Now, it's not like Zacharias and Elizabeth were perfect. They're like anybody else. They needed forgiveness of their sins. You know, while many of our problems stem from our own sins, God does allow some of it to you know, invade our lives for no other purpose than to help us to grow. Zechariah and Elizabeth had, you know, a big problem. They didn't have any kids. And many people assumed, as many did in that day, you don't have any children. What's your sin? What have you done to, to make God angry at you? I mean, why is God punishing you with this? Why don't you just confess it now and maybe God will forgive you? Well, Zechariah and Elizabeth, to their knowledge, they didn't have any sins. I could just hear the people whispering as he goes into the temple. He ain't going to last long when he gets in there. I mean, it's obvious. Here's a guy, he don't belong in there. He's obviously a sinner. She didn't have a, they don't even have children of their own. God's so upset. Get ready with the robe. We're going to have to haul this one out. Zechariah goes in there. The angel appears. It's difficult for us, I think, to imagine the, the stigma attached to childlessness for them. I have some friends who don't have children for different reasons. They can't have children. If, and it's, it's tragic for them, but there's not the social stigma in our culture, I think, that, you know, that these people would have dealt with. It was very, very, very difficult. Many Jewish rabbis insisted this type of situation is evidence of divine disfavor. Zechariah and Elizabeth may have been righteous before God, but look, you have some serious secret sin that's going on that you need to confess. So how did they overcome that problem? <clears throat> According to the word, they were blameless in the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. Zacharias had some choices to make. It would be common in that time for men to exonerate themselves by simply divorcing Elizabeth. No kids. No kids. No, we're not having kids. Sorry. I'm a priest. I can't have that hanging over my house. I don't want people thinking I'm a sinner. I don't want to... He didn't do that. 
Zacharias could have gotten rid of her, could have married a younger woman, had children by his new wife, could have gotten that curse off his back, and undoubtedly that's the route other men probably took, but not Zacharias. Instead, he prayed. If you look at verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. Your prayers to God have been heard. Instead of trying to take matters into his own hands and trying to save himself, he committed the situation to the one person who could do something about it, the God the Father. God, I don't know why we don't have children. I don't know why these things happen. But I know I don't want to sin against you. I know I don't want to hurt Elizabeth. I know I want to support her. Dear Lord, give us a son. The verse goes on, and your, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and will, you will give him the name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he'll drink no wine or liquor, and he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit, yet while in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. Okay, he has a real purpose. This is a special child coming. So here you have um, Zacharias probably thinking, dear Lord, you know, I'm glad I, I hung in there and was righteous, didn't take matters in my own hand. I'm, I've entrusted it to you, God, all these years. And it's amazing here. In fact, it's so amazing, I don't even know if I really believe it. Maybe I'm having uh, delusions here. Maybe something funny is going on. It is he, verse 17, who will be a, uh, talking about the, the baby here, John. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him, Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? I mean, I love what you're telling me, but look, I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. We're elderly. We're past the age when you can have children. The angel answered and said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. You've been praying all this time, haven't you? You've been praying for God to meet you, to meet your need. I'm here to tell you God is ready to do that. And behold, you shall be silent, not able to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which be, will be fulfilled in their proper time. Okay, here's Zacharias. He's probably like me. He's like, oh my, there goes my voice. It's disappearing. You know, no more voice for Zacharias. Now, when I was young, I used to think this was a sort of a punishment on Zacharias. You didn't believe? Okay, I'm going to punish you a little bit. Wake you up. And I don't think so. I think this was a gift. It was a gift to, to Zacharias. Every day he would be reminded, you prayed to God. 
you gave your life to the Lord. And you prayed for a son, and you did things righteously. Every time you can't speak, I want you to remember that. And I'm sure Zacharias, throughout his time, yeah, it would have been a pain not to be able to speak. But the only reason he couldn't speak was because of what had happened with the angel. And he would remember, God is going to do the impossible. He's going to do the impossible. I have hope. I have hope in my heart that these things are going to take place. Now, the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. Remember, they're probably thinking he's, somebody's going to have to go in and get him. But when he came out, he was unable to speak, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them, remaining mute. They're like, the guy's lost his mind. Told you, he, he wasn't coming out normal. And when the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. So he showed up, he did his service, and whoa, what a chain of events. Verse 24, this is beautiful. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. And she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. It's interesting, you know, this story of how, you know, this, this pregnancy came about. And, you know, the angel had not only promised him that you were going to have a son, you're going to have this baby, but he gave him a sign. A sign that that the words spoken by the angel were a confirmation of God's word. It probably strengthened their faith. Every time Zechariah would wonder, is God really serious about this? Am I? Because I really want to believe. He would probably go to open his mouth. and God's word is, is real. God's promise is real. There's an interesting parallel here with the vow and the birth of another famous uh, person. Um, back through the Old Testament, there were several times um, there were, uh, you know, what you should do if a kid's born. You know, what are some things you can do? Some of the vows and different things. The only people who could be priests were of the uh, family of, I think, Aaron, okay? Um, the uh, had different tribes of Israel, so you had a lot of different people, and most of them couldn't be a, be a priest. But you could set yourself apart for God if you wanted to. You can't be the priest, but you could set yourself apart. All it would require is a, to make a, a vow, a special vow, and this is found in the book of Numbers. Now, we're not going to turn to it because it's, when you get in the book of Numbers, it's you know, a lot of do's and don'ts and weird stuff. And, but in Numbers chapter 6, there are details about what, as they called it, a Nazarite should be. Okay? In other words, if you, uh, if you fulfill these, this vow, you don't get to be a priest, but... You get to be of the house of 
you know, or a Nazarite, sort of a term. Take the vow of the Nazarite, let's put it that way. And this vow, let's see. I wonder, we're on spot six. Okay, chapter six, one through seven. And again, you don't have to turn here unless you want to. Um, but here it talks about the law of the Nazarites. And the, God, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, and he goes on, when a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of the Nazarite, to dedicate himself to the Lord, he shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He will drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink, nor shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh or dried grapes. All the days of his separation, he's not going to eat anything that's produced by the grapevine from the seeds, even to the skin, and it goes on and talks about some other things. We'll jump ahead in the history of the, of the, uh, of the Hebrews, and we get to a man by the name of Samson. You've probably heard of Samson and Delilah. You know, the man with the hair, and, the, and he was a ladies' man. He loved women, there's no doubt. <clears throat> Judges chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. I am going to read this, and I'm going to connect this back to our story, our Christmas story here. Judges chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. Does that sound familiar? No kids here. Then the angel of the Lord, an angel, the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now... You are barren and have borne no children, but you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now, therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any other unclean thing. And then she goes on, you know, don't cut his hair and all these other things. He shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. In other words, the angel is telling them, your son is special. From his very birth, he's going to be set apart for God. I'd like to think I was set apart for God when I was born. I don't think that's true. I don't know. All right. I took a wide, winding road to get there. But, but right off the bat, you know, with Samson, this baby is going to be set apart for God. Jump ahead 800, 900 years into the future. Here with Luke, the angel has showed up to Zacharias, and he's told Zacharias, guess what? I know you don't have a son, but I know you've been praying, and I'm here to tell you, your son is special. He's going to be set apart for God. He doesn't come out and call him a Nazarite, but it's the same kind of deal. He's going to be set apart, and in those days to as part of that process, you would take a vow. I'm not going to drink uh, wine, not going to, well, Samson, he's not going to cut his hair, not, you know, some different things, but, but take a vow. <clears throat> so there are some things here about this boy that are going to be interesting. Again, verse 15, he'll be great in the sight of the Lord, 
He will drink no wine or liquor. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while in his mother's womb. He's going to be set apart for God. There's something special about this boy. It's not just the fact that you're going to be blessed and you're going to have a son. That's a wonderful thing, and God wants to meet our our needs like that. But in the case of John, he had a special purpose. This child, he'll fulfill your desire, but I've got a bigger desire as well. He's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. What a wonderful thing to hear. Not only is our son special to us, he's going to be special to everybody. And after these days, Elizabeth's wife became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months. Now, that conception was a miracle. I believe, of course, that was done through human conception. There was no you know, miraculous miracle like, like Mary's going to have. But impossible things do happen. And God is the same today as he's always been. He can solve our problems. He, puts, he put the story in the Bible to prove it, to strengthen our faith. I also think the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth was to strengthen Mary and her struggles to come. Verse 26, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, that's the sixth month that Elizabeth was pregnant, so she's starting to really, probably getting ready to show pretty good here. People are probably, well, she hid herself away, but Elizabeth and uh, Zechariah knew. But now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called, where in the world, what city? Somebody yell it out. Nazareth. Of all the places that it could have been, Nazareth. The vow of the Nazarite, go back to the Old Testament. You took that vow, you were set apart for God. And now this angel is sent from God to Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And you know how the story goes. And he tells Mary, you're going to have a a baby. And this is no ordinary baby. Now, I often wonder if Mary and Elizabeth haven't had conversations. I believe they were uh, cousins. Somebody can correct me on that. But um, I don't know this. The scripture doesn't say it. But I like to think Mary knew about this. Miraculous conception for Zechariah and, and Elizabeth. And Mary sees this, and she sees what's happening, and wow, God is good. Look how he blessed them. This is amazing. And then lo and behold, an angel shows up to her and says, you're your most favorite of women. You're going to have a child too. And I would believe she's thinking, wow, <laughs> what is it about our family? I mean, Zechariah, he can't speak. Elizabeth is obviously pregnant. Wow, what he said really is happening. And now the angel's telling me, calling me the favored one, the Lord is with me. And Mary said, how can this be since I'm a virgin? 
And the angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. I think that miracle of what happened with with John, excuse me, with uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, I think that strengthened her. Mary then goes to visit Elizabeth. Verse 39, it's while she's visiting Elizabeth, because the Bible says she stayed there, I think, three months. Anyways, while she was there, a couple of things happened. Mary went up to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I know you're having a baby. What did the baby do? Did did flips. <laughs> Wee! And you know, Elizabeth's probably like, whoa, you know. The baby leapt for joy. Well, and obviously the Holy Spirit then, you know, fills her and she cries out, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Talking to Mary here. You know, my baby's a miracle, but my baby's not the not gonna be uh, the mother of my Lord. That's you. God does the impossible, and he just keeps on doing the impossible. Go back to verse 36, and behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. I think Elizabeth and Zacharias are sort of examples for the Holy Family, for Mary and Joseph. Why was Mary so patient? Why was Joseph willing to keep Mary around? He had Zacharias as a model to see. What do you do You know, when people accuse your wife? Obviously, you know she's been sleeping around on you. Look at her, she's pregnant. Joseph could have ditched Mary, but he didn't. Undoubtedly, he probably thought of the other family. What did Zacharias do? He prayed. He prayed, and he prayed. That's what I need to do. They had the example of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Now, we're going to be looking at Mary and Joseph in the, you know, the coming weeks and, and the whole Christmas story, but you know, I, I stand up here and I say, God does the impossible. Well, John, he hasn't done the impossible for me. You don't understand. My situation is impossible. My husband, he'll never change. My wife, she'll never learn. We'll never get out of debt. It'll never be well again. Things will never improve. My job stinks. I'm trapped here. My unsaved loved one will never come to know Christ. Go back to the word. Listen to God's word again. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Believe that. Obey that. Keep on keeping on. When I met Angelina Jolie and I sat down to talk to her, I was amazed at the beginning. But as we talked, maybe 10 minutes, I began to notice she doesn't seem very happy. She doesn't seem really thrilled to be here. She doesn't seem like 
things are going well for. I just something I picked up. I, I, maybe I had it totally wrong. And I sat there and I thought, you know, all the wonderful things that you are. You're a movie star and you have fame and you have money and you're married to Billy Bob, you know, at the time. Wow, you know. What do you have to look forward to? There wasn't anything. And I, I felt bad. Because I knew you don't know Jesus. You don't know Christ. You may have millions. You may have fame that I'll never have. But you don't have the most important thing that Jesus offers us. And that's hope. This life is all she has. I'll never have her money. I'll never have her fame. But I have hope in the living God. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro across the earth to give strong support to those whose heart is completely His. You think about what happened to Zechariah and Elizabeth. God's not, He doesn't have a tin ear to need. He knew that they were wanting the impossible. God heard that prayer. He knew. They were a people whose heart completely belonged to God. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Uh, thinking of this, this candle here. A candle of hope, of expectation. Of Do we really believe in a God of the impossible? Or is that just lip service? Is that a cool story for Christmas time? Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Hope is the most amazing thing, I think, the, the time of Christmas, because without Christ, we have no hope. This is it. This life is what you get. It's funny, I, I don't know that lady. I, she would never remember me, Angelina Jolie. But there have been times when I, I've prayed for her. I see her put out a movie, and I'm like, oh, good Lord, lady. Your poor children, if they ever watch that film, good night. Do you have hope in your life today? Do you have hope? I want to tell you all that God is the God of the impossible. That God is the one who can give you hope if you'll accept it, if you'll turn to Him, if you're righteous, if you do what you can and give your life to Christ and say, Lord, I don't, know, I don't have it all together. But God, I want you to know that I want to have this hope. That hope can be yours. It's already been purchased, paid for. It's a free gift. We celebrated it here this morning. All you got to do is receive it. I don't know anybody. I've never known anybody. If I handed you a present, you'd probably open it. God hands you a present named Jesus Christ. How many of us look at that present and go, I ain't opening it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, for this Christmas season. I'm awfully excited about Christmas, God, because you are the God of the impossible. 
and you give us hope. Every day when I screw up, every day when I need your grace, I'm reminded that you are God of hope. And I love you for that, God. And I thank you for these people. Help us to love you more and to serve you and to be righteous. Help us to remember that you are the God of the impossible. You are a God who loves us and gives us hope. In the name of Jesus, amen.